0: Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the third of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, Volume 1 in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's o r y k a u f m a n dot com. Enjoy! Book Two. Hard Time Reality. Chapter One. Handsome found himself face down in straw. The last thing he remembered was jumping out through the hay door with the others. I don't remember hitting the ground, he thought to himself. He wiggled his toes, then fingers. No pain. He felt straw tickling his mouth and tried to blow it out. No good. There was more than straw in there, something sticky and awful tasting. Pfft! He spit, but couldn't get it all out. He took a deep breath and the vile smell of ammonia burned his sinuses and lungs. He jumped to his feet, wheezing. (whistles) He spun his head around and saw a scrawny cow tied to a dead tree by a barn. There had been no dead tree in the master's immaculately kept plot, and this scrawny beast was not the master's contented animal, nor was this his barn. In fact, where the master's barnyard had a somewhat earthy, sweet smell, the whole area here smelled of foul puddles of urine, cow dung, carcasses, and other unnamed rotting things. Instead of a neatly partitioned lot surrounded by a stone fence, this barn was part of a long, muddy alleyway full of tumble-down sheds and outbuildings. The alley ran behind a row of unkempt houses facing a larger road. The alley and road were connected by an even muddier lane ending at the barn. The shabbiness of the area was made more extreme by the grey day. Day, Handsome thought? Had he been lying outside all night?' while he thought on this he used his fingers to rid himself of whatever was still stuck at the back of his mouth he finally gagged out the clot and was horrified to see bits of straw mashed together with what must be manure he threw it to the ground and made a face he saw the other two teens still on the ground they too were slowly becoming aware of their surroundings handsome looked behind him to see aramis standing calm and relaxed when travelling through a vortex try landing on your feet "'It takes a bit of practice, but will keep your clothes more neat.' As the three got up, brushing dirt from their clothes, Aramis walked over to the nervous cow and petted it. A flock of chickens ran out of the barn to see if the newly-arrived humans brought food. Startled by the aggressive little creatures, Handsome took a step back and bumped into the others, who were equally frightened. Aramis laughed, earning him three petulant scowls, which he ignored. When the chickens saw there was nothing being thrown their way— they lost interest and began pecking around in the mud. One picked up the clod of filth Handsome had spat. It broke it open, found a seed within, and gobbled it down. Handsome felt himself gag again. Aramis clapped his hands and grinned. "'We are arrived.' "'Where are we?' Shimira asked. "'Verona, 1347, just outside the old city walls.' "'And you think we'll find this place more interesting?' Handsome challenged." The others looked to Aramis for his answer. 14th century Verona. Interesting? Yes, a very interesting time in history. Interesting to study. But to live? Subsist? From your safe world you have come to a time before countries, the time of the city-state, the family-dominated oligarchy, the time of grand hypocrisy, craftsmanship, philosophy, art, the concept of romantic love, all are on the rise.' It is the pre-Renaissance. Science is soon to become the greatest weapon of war, a time when cities compete treacherously against one another, fighting deadly battles to gain commercial advantage. Families assassinate family members. Imagine, if you will, the hows and whats of this human existence compared to your known modern comforts, or imagine it not. You will be living it soon, for this is your destination." the real, the true, the living fourteenth-century Verona. "'You're a hell of a tour guide,' Handsome said glibly. "'Oh, a guided tour you shall not get. You're on your own, the story's set. It will soon be you who guide yourselves along. I only hope you'll all be strong.' Lincoln smiled. "'You're leaving us by ourselves?' he asked in a delighted tone. "'No adults to tell us what to do?' Aramis nodded. "'And we really travelled to a different time?' Shamira asked, seeking assurance. "'It was a rough trip. "'Going back a thousand years in time means travelling trillions of parsecs of space, "'back to where the earth was at and to this particular place. "'And now you are alone.' "'Yeah,' Lincoln said with gusto. "'I think we should take what Elder Aramis says "'with a grain of salt,' Handsome cautioned. "'We might appear to be alone, "'but I know about history camp protocol.' "'You seem the most cynical of the lot, "'and the cynic is oft times sensible. "'But then again, sensible is often what the world around you says. "'Keep an open mind.' "'This place is freaky,' Shimira said. "'I wish I had something to sketch it with.' "'How may I deny a true artist?' Aramis reached into his monk's cassock and withdrew an old leather portfolio. Shamira stared at the cloak in wonderment. He handed her the cracked leather case and made a motion for her to inspect the contents. She brought out a dozen sheets of blank paper. This is really wonderful handmade paper, Shamira said. Scarce resources for your talent to display. Do not waste this paper of rag base, for with your talent you can turn it to lace. Padre Aaron, a man's voice shouted. Everyone's head turned to look at the top of the lane between the alley and the road. A large man was standing there, heavily bearded and wearing dark clothes and boots. voi? Siete proprio voi, lo mio vecchio amico?" he shouted excitedly. Having trained the other year as a Renaissance soldier, Hansom had learned a fair bit of Italian. He was good at languages. He thought the man was saying something like "'Father Aaron, Father Aaron, is that you? Is that you, my old friend?' But he wasn't quite sure, as the accenting and phrasing were very strange. Aramis dropped his rhyming voice and fell into the medieval Italian. He waved his hands and danced a little jig, as if he were seeing a long-lost friend. "'Agostino!' he shouted in a heavy Cambrian accent. "'Agostino, fratello mio, sono io vostro fratello padre Aaron.' Hanson was struggling to translate it in his head when he heard Pan's voice in his ear. He is saying, "Agostino, my brother, it is I, your brother, Father Aaron." Magna loda a Dio, entrambi sopravvivemo alle nostri viaggi. The big man shouted back, "Praise be to God. We have both survived our journeys." Pan whispered in translation, "The man who Aramis called Agostino." "'lumbered toward them as a bear would on his hind legs, arms open wide. "'He laughed as he ran, but after they came together in a hearty embrace, "'he fell to his knees and began kissing Aramis's hands. "'Coma, fratello, coma,' Aramis said. "'Catiamo di Cotesto rito vasi con la grazia del Signore. "'Come, brother,' Pan explained. "'Come, let us revel in this reunion with grace.' Agostino got up, collected himself, and asked, Quando arrivaste nella civitate? When did you arrive in the city? Pan continued translating. Pena oggi allo del Mazzoli, Aramis explained. Just today, at midday, Pan whispered. And you found us already? How? Pan translated. By God's grace and a few questions. Chapter two. Another voice shouted from up the lane. It was a younger man, a little shorter than handsome, but quite stout. Padrone! Padrone! Master! Master! The young man called in a harsh, raspy voice. La signora vostra mogli sta gridando perché alla non trova il vaso da notte fra la mazzerizzi e la case del tresloco. Your wife is screaming for her chamber pot. It can't be found in the moving crates. "'Oro mi toco per di bambinaia di questa donograsa e Agostino said. "'God in heaven, give me strength. Now I am a nursemaid to a sow.' Then Agostino turned and looked at the three teenagers, glancing at them fleetingly like they were goats or chickens. "'Sono gli orfani che tu dai a me?' Pan said. "'Oh, oh, young master, he's saying, are these the orphans you are giving to me?' Handsome looked at both adults with trepidation. See, si, Aramis answered offhandedly. "'Allora que si vengen tutti mecco,' and Pan translated, "'Then come all with me.' "'Datemi un poco di tempo, di grazia,' Aramis said. "'Give me some little time.' And after Aramis spoke some more, Pan added, "'I am reviewing their duties both for you and the Holy Church.' The young man up the lane shouted again, Padrone, ecco vasso de notte della vostra Signor Mogli, master, your wife's chamber pot. Agostino's happy countenance turned quickly to rage. He shouted again in Italian, to which Pan translated, Can't you see I'm talking with the holy friar? He made a rude gesture aimed toward the young oaf. Pace, Agostino, Aramis said, putting a hand on Agostino's shoulder and speaking gently. Peace, Agostino. An irritable bowel is a demanding god. Go find its altar of prayer for your wife. Agostino's scowl turned to a smile, and he chuckled something in Italian which came to, That is why I love you, father. You make me laugh with your wisdom. Come to the house when you are ready. Agostino then turned and ambled off. Does everyone here speak like that? Chimera asked. Of course, it's their language. I know some Italian, Hansom said, but I could hardly understand what you guys were saying. What Italian is it? Italian, as it was spoken in 1347. But Italy didn't exist, as you know it, then. You're going to leave us where we don't understand what is going on? Shmira asked. That would be mean and cruel. No, dear ones, I'll give you a tool. I take from my blouse three nibbles of food. Each eat one and be instantly shrewd. "'Consume it, do, and then you'll spout early Italian without a doubt. "'Your ears will know all ideas said. "'You'll understand what your eyes have read.' Aramis took a handkerchief from his all-providing robe. "'Unwrapping it revealed three small biscuits. "'He held them out to Shamira first. "'Taste, don't waste. I made them myself.' "'She took one, sniffed it, and then bit off a small piece. "'Pretty good,' she said.' He offered one to Lincoln, who popped it in his mouth and chewed the thing whole. "'Thanks! I'm starving!' he held the last one out to Handsome. "'These will help us learn?' "'Oh, more than that. They are the learning.' "'There's no technology that can give us instant knowledge of a language,' Handsome retorted. "'Let's not quibble. Give it a nibble, and if it doesn't work with all, I'll eat this cassock before you all.' Handsome shrugged and ate his. "'It's not bad,' he said. "'I'm happy that you are enjoying. Now eat it all, and eat it quickly. Your new master awaits, and he's really quite prickly. Come, you three, we'll walk while we talk, and I'll explain. Agostina della Cappa is your new master's name. From Florence he came, his head hung in shame. A good man, essentially, with one weakness, the grape. From the nectar of Bacchus he could not escape.' Apprenticed when eight to a maker of crystal, his master's the man who invented the spectacle. Agostino was at sixteen a journeyman made. His master's daughter he married, for his talents were sage. When his father-in-law died, the family's head he became. In Florence he flourished and garnered true fame. But his wife is not well. In her head she is ill, though in our times her malady could be fixed with one pill. Shamira stopped walking and looked at aramis suspiciously if she's ill why don't you use modern medicine to cure her she asked the past we cannot influence with modern medical creations it's a time traveler's code of strict legislation lincoln put his head on his stomach then burped wow i don't know what was in that but i don't feel queasy any more like i said it's food and something else from a day far away and the one time i'll feed you during your stay your fate's to now rest with your wills and your hands to succeed you will learn dears on how to make plans back to my story of agostino my friend i care for him dearly my love's without end but his life is his own and his century too there's a limit you'll learn what a friend can but do To hide from the badgering of his wife's mental distress, he took to the bottle and drank wine to excess. His riches soon faded, as did his creditors' trust. All of his life's now a horrible bust. An umbriaco he's been, a drunkard, a sot. And finally he stands a miserable bankrupt. To Verona he's fled, vowing his life to improve. I gave him the money to make that brave move." "'I thought you couldn't interfere in the past,' Handsome said sarcastically. "'In matters technological or of medicine, yes, "'but people gave money in the past and were blessed.' "'As he said this, he made the sign of the cross. "'So Agostino and his wife took Giulietta, their daughter, "'and with no servants or maids, to Verona they brought her. "'With Ugolino, their apprentice, who has little of talent, "'to his master's debasement he fits in most valiant.' and there they all live behind that gray door of their world i'll not tell you a scintilla more his story ended as they arrived at the main road where agostino's rented house met the alley aramis swept his arm toward the door then motioned up the road one way and then the other the road south led to a distant red brick wall and one of the towering entrance gates into verona looking north there was a second city wall from several centuries earlier, when the city was smaller. Above it, you could see the tops of more brick towers, church steeples, and ancient houses. The street was busy with people, many on donkeys, horses, and carts. All right, then, he said. Now I've revealed to you all that I may. Here is the humble home where you'll live, work, and pray. Whoa! Lincoln grabbed at his temple. What's wrong? Shamir asked, taking his arm. "'I felt something grow in my temple under the skin. "'It feels like the subdermal.' "'Yeah, yeah,' he said, feeling around. "'It is a subdermal,' he said excitedly. "'Does this mean I can talk to my home again?' Shamira and Handsome put their hands to their right temples. "'I feel one, too,' Shamira said. "'Hey,' Handsome said, "'what's going on?' "'I told you that food that you ate not only filled, "'it gave you a tool, so say you've been pilled.' "'Now you can sing like a Cambrian canary. "'Your brains are all full of an Italian dictionary. "'And that nub on your noggin is the switch to that talkin.' Chapter 3 At that moment the young man who had been calling to Master Della La Capa emerged from the house carrying a steaming chamber-pot. Close up he was a terrible sight— one eye had a perpetual squint, the other was lazy and focused inward. His swarthy skin was pockmarked and full of blackheads. His lips were cracked, and it was clear his nose had been broken more than once. His single eyebrow did not lie in any one direction, but had numerous scars dissecting it. What you could see of his matted hair was hidden by a ripped grey pipe that was wrapped on top of his head like a beret. His voice was a rasping choir of devils. Spost da tevi, arriva il vaso de not piena di excrementi, he shouted. Pan quickly translated it for Hansom as Get out of the way, here comes the chamber pot. Even though he gave a warning, it seemed like he bumped into Hansom on purpose. The brown, acrid excrement sloshed over the side of the container and barely missed him. The lout ran to the middle of the road and tossed the contents into a big pile of horse dung. "'A neighbor across the road shouted from a second-story window. "'I'm still having trouble understanding what they're saying,' Handsome said. "'Yeah, I don't understand a word,' Lincoln agreed. "'Me neither,' Shamira added. "'Tap your temples,' Aramis ordered. "'Come, you know how.' "'As they tapped their temples, they instantly heard the neighbor shouting, "'Hey, you stupid idiot! "'Why'd you throw that human crap and piss on those horse turds? "'They were beautiful horse turds. "'I was going to put it on my garden.' Now I can't, because you put that human crap on them. Aramis then told the teens to tap again to turn it off. Handsome the others then heard the pot emptying oaf say, Oh, non datemi altriguai, femina grassa e disgustosa, che la merda della mia amante in dove io vorio. And when Aramis pointed at them to tap once more, they heard, "'Oh, don't give me any trouble, you ugly fat woman. "'I'll throw my mistress's merda where I want.' "'Hey, who are you calling a woman?' "'I'm a man,' the fellow in the window said. "'A man? I thought you were a woman with a smooth face like that. "'Are you blind as well as stupid? "'Can't you see the beard on my face?' "'That's a beard? "'My grandmother has more whiskers on her upper lip "'than you do on your whole stupid face.' "'The neighbor made a sign of disgust and left the window.' "'Don't worry!' the oaf laughed as he shouted. "'There's more horses and merda in this world! Ha-ha!' Then he turned back to Aramis, smiling. His big yellow teeth, every one of them crooked or cracked, showed themselves proudly. "'Master Aaron," he croaked. "'Thank Crystal you're here. "'The master's been in an awful mood since he hasn't had wine the past month.' Aramis motioned to the boorish boy about something behind him, and he stepped aside, just missing the contents of another chamber pot being tossed out the window by the man. It splattered on the street beside him. The ugly youth turned toward the thrower and bit his thumb in a gesture of insult. "'You even throw merda like a girl!' he cried. "'You missed!' The neighbor smiled and pointed to the lout's shoulder. He looked and saw a small piece of excrement stuck to his clothing. He flicked it off nonchalantly. The neighbor shook his head in disgust and turned away again. After a few moments, seeming satisfied that the neighbor wasn't returning with a reloaded pot, the oaf wiped his fingers on his tunic, smelled his fingertips, and turned back to the man he knew as Father Aaron. Meanwhile, Hansom and the other teens had been tapping their temples, changing the dialogue in their heads back and forth from Earth Common to Italian. The oaf saw them tapping and made a face. "'I think these orphans you brought are stupido, oh, Father even more than me he tapped his own forehead and twisted his tongue i'm gonna be your boss stop tapping your heads aramis said to the three from the future you look like cuckoo birds then he turned back to the oaf and put his hand on the lad's cleaner shoulder how goes it for you ugolino ugolino smiled and grimaced at the same time and you say your master has been dispirited well let's see father When you last seen him, he'd gone bankrupt. Then the moneylenders and bailiffs took his house, all his animals and his equipment, except for what I could steal back or hide. He no longer has a cook, a maid, a journeyman, or even an apprentice of experience. His wife talks to devils and angels, his daughters useless in the house. We had to sneak from Florence in the dead of night and travel to Verona like gypsies. We were robbed four times, and I had to swallow the coins you gave us to hide them. I tell you, father, if he did not have me, the devil would have him now. Ugolino, my son, we must give thanks to God for even these small blessings, Aramis said. Hey! the master screamed as he bounded through the door. You tell stories of your benefactor? Agostino had a piece of firewood in his hand and swung it right at Ugolino's head. Ugolino ducked but the lumber clipped the top of his crown. It knocked Ugolino's cap off, and he collapsed into the street. The master continued to roar at him. "'You stupido! You idiot!' Blood spurted from a cut on Ugolino's scalp, and the master was wild-eyed and breathing like a beast. He beat Ugolino several more times on the back. Handsome and the other teen's eyes went wide with shock. Handsome had seen fake violence at history camps, but this was real. He and the other two blanched at the sight of the blood. "'Peace, my son, peace,' Aramis said sternly, catching the big man's arm and holding it fast. "'He is only answering what I asked, and you know I am familiar with your circumstances. "'I am your father-confessor, your spiritual guide. "'I will confess my own weaknesses. "'I need not an imbecile to do it for me in front of the neighbors.' Ugolino, on all fours, scrambled for his hat. He wisely crawled a few extra paces to be out of the master's reach before getting back to his feet. The bloodied youth grinned through his pain and said, "'Hey, that was a close one, master. But is that any way to treat your future son?' "'Your blood mix with mine?' the master boomed. "'Never. I'll spill every drop of both on this avenue first. "'Peace!' "'Peace, my son,' Aramis said again, continuing to hold Agostino back. "'Ugolino, go to the town well and wash your wound. "'Wash it thoroughly, mind you, then go to Herbe Market Grande. "'Seek out Signora Caterina Baroni, the herb merchant. "'Have her put some unguent on it. "'Tell her I sent you, and will pay her when I come to the market later. "'Give your master some hours to become his old cheerful self, eh?' Ugolino held his cap in front of him, hesitating nervously. Small rivulets of blood ran down his thick brow and into his eyes. Go, my son, go. He turned and scurried off. I hate my life, Master Della Cappa said, still shaking with rage. How have I come to this? Why is God punishing me? Hush, my friend. Perhaps God, in his wisdom, is punishing you, or perhaps not. Maybe it was just too much of the grape. What is important is to be faithful to Jesus, and live each day as a staunch Christian. This is the only way out, the only way. Come, let us take my visit into your chambers. See, I have brought you three helpers for your salvation, just as I promised. I keep my promises. Now, you keep your promise to God, and He will bless you, I am sure of it. Maybe you're right, Agostino said. Come, Holy Father, let us retire to my new dung heap of a home, and I'll give you the richest of my poor hospitality. Bring the orphans. Why do they keep calling us orphans? Lincoln asked. The master stopped short, turned, and glared at Lincoln. This one speaks when not spoken to? Does he not know orphans must be obedient? Why do you keep calling us orphans? Lincoln asked plainly. I took charge of the children in Mantua, Aramis explained, but they and their departed parents were from the north of the Pyrenees originally. They do not yet know our language and customs as well as they might. Oh, great! Now I have three more idiots to go with Ugolino. He turned and entered his hovel. Chapter 4 Handsome had to bend his head to enter Master de la Cappa's dingy grey home. Although the dirt floor was covered in straw, like the history camp home, this straw wasn't clean and fresh. There were old, mouldy clumps of what had been straw, now turned mostly into mushy, furry clods, with bits of food and animal bones mixed in for good measure. The three large windows in the place were shuttered closed, cutting off all but a little sunlight, keeping the place in a dull twilight cobwebs hung low from the corners. Like at history camp, the downstairs was one large room. There was a small area separated off in one corner by an old curtain. It was ripped and dust-covered, hanging like a ghostly shroud in the tomb of a forgotten corpse. While the history camp ceiling was low, the ceiling here was lower and made of unmatched graying timbers and crooked logs, flattened on top to support an upper floor. Handsome could just miss hitting his head— Two large, rusting gray pots lay in the similarly hued ash-filled earth. There were steep, rickety stairs to the second level, and the banister was little more than a length of jagged limb wood. Master Agostino della Cappa turned to Aramis, his hound-dog eyes drooping. "'See how the mighty master has fallen! Behold what I have brought my family to!' Aramis put his hand on Agostino's thick shoulder. "'Fallen only to rise again.' How can one appreciate joy if he does not know misery? Then I shall be a connoisseur of joy when God deems to send me some, Agostino said, then added, Rest yourself, holy father. I am glad you are here. I shall fetch my wife and daughter. Grazie, my son. Aramis sat at one of the benches by a table. The master climbed the stairs, each tread groaning under his weight. That was really weird, Lincoln said in a stage whisper. Weird? It was scary, Shimira added. I've never seen that much blood, except for the chicken. Why did the master get so mad at the ugly guy? Hansom asked. Ugolino embarrassed his master in front of us, Aramis explained. The master was, still is, a prideful man. An apprentice must not do such things. If the master is so mean to that ugly guy, Shimira began to ask. But Aramis interrupted. Dear children, I know his countenance is much worn for one so young, but his name is Ugolino, not ugly. Well, why does this Ugolino stay around if the master hits him? Lincoln asked. Every dog needs a master. And no matter how you beat a dog, he comes home, craving attention, needing his home, his place. However, the sight of Ugolino continually reminds the master of his own low social status. In truth, he hates himself more than he hates his mongrel. "'And Ugolino puts up with this abuse? Why?' Shimira asked. "'He has had a roof over his head for the most part, and his share of the food. And now that you three are here, the pack has grown, and he senses his position elevated.' "'What was that comment Ugolino made about becoming the master's son?' Handsome asked. "'Yeah,' Lincoln said. "'That really turned the old guy rangy.' "'Ah, well—' Ugolino has it in his head that one day he will marry the master's daughter, Giulietta. He knows the story of how Agostino married his master's daughter, and dreams of history repeating itself. Well, for a mouth-breather like Ugolino, his sights can't be set too high, Handsome snorted. This daughter must be a real dog, too. A woman began shrieking from up the stairs, the words interspersed with howls. No! No! How can I get out of bed? I leave me alone the holy father is here the one who financed our relocation you must present yourself i'm tired the woman screeched wife please no i can't let me be something thumped loudly on the floor dust fell from the ceiling on the floor below don't "'The master shouted. "'You'll break it. "'I don't care. "'Leave me alone. "'You made me leave my home. "'You fired our servants. "'You ruined our daughters' chances. "'You've made me a beggar, a peasant. "'My clothes are a mess. "'I have no one to wash them. "'How shall we live? "'Why did I marry you?' "'I have arranged a kitchen-girl for you,' came the master's voice, sounding as reasonable as possible. "'She will wash your clothes, and I've new apprentices who have some grinding experience. Two years, and we should be comfortable again.' Two years? I must live in this dung-heap for two years? No!' "'Once it is cleaned, it will not be so bad.' "'We have the help now. No! You will do as I—' "'No!' A larger crash, more falling dust, and a sudden silence. Handsome looked over at the others. Aramis was sitting, relaxed and calm, while both Lincoln and Shemira were wide-eyed. Another female voice was heard from upstairs. This one was gentle. "'Hush, mother, I beg you.' And then the voice became too soft to make out. There were whispers and soothing tones. Then the creaking of a bed was heard, along with grunts and groans. Oh, he, oh, he, the first woman's voice complained. Then the banister shook as somebody took hold of it up top. A slipper appeared, followed by the tattered hem of a once-elegant dress. The stairs creaked as a second slipper came into view, and slowly the mistress of the house appeared. Handsome squinted at the sight of her short and obese signora della capa had a jowly pasty white face her mouth hung open and her eyes were dull and tired her dress was rumpled slept in her large bosom was not so much buxom as fat a too tight bonnet trimmed with sweat yellowed lace surrounded her face behind her was the master scowling more than ever as he was forced to wait for his ungainly wife to make her way down Another pair of leather slippers appeared, smaller and with a lighter touch upon the treads. No angry sounds of protest came from the stairs with these feet upon them. The dress took up much less volume, as the body underneath it was slight. Both grace and balance showed in her movements. Her face, too, was surrounded by a bonnet. But this one, though not crisp and new, was unblemished, like the face it set off. Two large brown eyes sheltered under thin crescent-shaped eyebrows— a fine nose, and full lips, dark pink and natural. Chapter 5 Handsome felt Lincoln elbow him. "'Hey, who's the mouth-breather now?' the younger teen teased. Handsome closed his mouth, but he didn't—couldn't—take his eyes off of the girl. Aramis stood up and smiled. Signora della Capa, he began, but she walked right by him and plumped down on the bench. My feet, they kill me, she complained. They cause pain all the way up my legs, my back. Oh, my back, she moaned. I'm glad your journey was made without harm to your family, Aramis continued. The journey, that's what did it. My body aches right to the bone because this fool of a husband. Woman, Agostino began loudly. "'Peace, my children,' Aramis said. "'We have all travelled far, but are safe under one roof now. "'Thanks be to God. "'And now, through God's good graces, "'all your fortunes will be made by your hands working together.' "'You're right,' Holy Father Agostino said, "'putting his head down and crossing himself. "'And what of you, Matilda?' Aramis asked. "'Will you honour God with your best intentions?' "'He waited for an answer, but it was not forthcoming.' The senora was staring at a point a few inches in front of her. Matilda, he repeated. After a moment, she looked up to the ceiling. You're right, Michael, she said to the air. I will tell her. She looked directly at Shemira. Girl, bring some wine. Two cups. One for me and one for Michael. The daughter came to her mother's side and spoke gently. We have no wine, mother. We've moved here only yesterday. We are not yet provisioned. "'Then watered wine only,' the old lady said with a wave of her hand, like a grand duchess. "'Who does she speak to?' Aramis inquired. "'Angels, devils, trees, the air.' Agostino was angry, but contained himself. "'Holy father,' Julietta said. "'My mother thinks she speaks with the archangel Michael.' Don't be daft, the mother exclaimed. I do talk to him. He's right there, alighted on the ceiling. Aren't his silver wings beautiful? How long has she been, is this, Julietta?" Aramis inquired. It got worse during our trip. Now she barely speaks but to her spirits. I'll send herbs to calm her, Aramis said. Grazie, holy father, thanked Julietta. See si, Michael says he would like some herbs, too, the Signora said. Then, looking back to the ceiling, added, What? See, si, some saffron it's gold, like his beautiful halo. Aramis clapped his hands loudly to break the room's gloomy spell. So, family Della Cappa, these are your new apprentices Carmella for the kitchen and home, and this is Romero, Romero Monticelli, and this is Maruccio. Those names again? Lincoln whined. Can't you call me Shamira? Handsome didn't say anything. He couldn't take his eyes off of Julieta. Aramis said, No, these are your names now, fine Christian names that the good people of Verona will recognize. Your other names from north of the Pyrenees will sound strange to the local ear. And this is your new home, children, where you will find shelter and sustenance. "'This is your new mistress, Signora della Cappa. The old woman continued staring at the ceiling, ignoring the teens. "'Obey the master and Signora as you would obey me, and all will be well. This is Julietta, their daughter.' "'Hello,' Julietta said. She looked at Chimera. "'You can teach me to cook and clean. I am ignorant of all these skills, but wish to learn.' "'The blind leading the blind,' Chimera said.' "'Such a strange response, holy father,' Julietta said. "'I am sure you will be great friends.' "'The wife blurted out, "'Friends with servants! Oh, "'Impossible!' "'Hush, mother,' Julietta said. "'These are orphans from far away. "'Their misfortune has been worse than ours. "'Let us be kind.' "'The words fell upon deaf ears. "'The signora was already looking blankly at the ceiling. Aramis clapped his hands again the day is coming to an end all must eat so tomorrow starts well our cupboards are almost bare master agostino said his voice quavering we have but the better part of a loaf of bread and an onion and my pockets are even more empty aramis reached into his robes and pulled out a bundle a bit larger than his hand the lord shall provide he said a haunch of boiled pork the master was so overcome he caught his breath a look came upon his face that was a mixture of awe, happiness, and shame. Julieta's eyes opened wide and sparkled. The old woman's mind finally came back to the room. She quickly turned her head toward Aramis, or, more correctly, toward the meat. "'Porco!' she blurted, her tongue popping out of her mouth and gesticulating around her lips. "'This and the bread should provide you a meal to see you until to-morrow,' Aramis said. "'Then you may go to market.' The smile evaporated from Master Delacapa's face, and he once again looked dejected. "'Not to worry, my brother,' Aramis said. He put his hand in his cloak once more, and brought out a little pouch. It jingled. "'This should provision your home with food sufficient till your business may start bringing in coins.' The master literally fell to his knees, took hold of Aramis's robe, and sobbed. Julietta hugged Aramis as well, thanking him over and over. "'Hush, my children!' "'Enough,' Aramis insisted. Accept this gift, fold into your family these orphans, "'prosper all, and the money is well invested.' "'He held the bag out to Agostino, but pulled it back slightly, adding, "'But not for wine.' "'Holy Father, the grape has not touched these lips since Florence,' "'Agostino said, crossing himself twice. "'It is true, Holy Father,' Julietta assured. "'My father has been his old self since you sponsored our move.' and I, too, have made a vow to learn the ways of the household, so I can be his and my mother's support. Aramis smiled at Julietta, then at Agostino. Into your hands I commend your families and these orphans' fate. You were a prosperous tradesman before, and you shall be again. He put the pouch in the master's large red hand and closed his fingers around it. Agostino leaned forward, tears in his eyes. He kissed Aramis's hand and said a prayer. When he was done— Aramis helped him to his feet and added, "'The day is weaning. "'Make your meal and prepare for the evening.'" Chapter 6 "'Will you sup with us?' Master de la Capa asked. "'No, I shall lodge and feed with my brothers at San Zeno. "'But first I will to the market to get herbs for your wife. "'I give you charge of the orphans, Agostino.' "'Stop calling us orphans,' Lincoln insisted.' The master shot a look at Lincoln and warned, You are now my charge. I tell you, do not speak until spoken to. This is the way to learn, and this is the way of my house. Lincoln opened his mouth wide to say something. Aramis put his hand on the youth's shoulder and said, in earth common, Remember, this place is not what you're used to. Take great care. Lincoln looked at Aramis belligerently, but shut his mouth. I shall return, Aramis continued in Italian. But until then, listen to the master. Help each other. Say your prayers. The time-traveling history camp counselor took a few steps toward the door. As he reached it, Master de la Capa ran to his friend and embraced him again. They kissed each other on the cheeks. Then Aramis looked once again at the assembly. Blessings, my children. Keep well in God. Then he turned and left. Handsome and the other two visitors from the future looked at each other unsurely. "'They watched the master close the door and turn back to the room. "'He smiled at his daughter and jingled the little bag of coins. "'The Holy Father has once again provided us with the means for our family's revival. "'Father, I shall do what is necessary to improve our house's position. "'I will not be dependent. "'Daughter and helpmate. "'A father's dream is to dote and spoil his daughter.' TO MAKE HER A USELESS PRETTY PRIZE, TO CATCH A RICH MAN FOR HER AND THE FAMILY. BUT I SWEAR, A DAUGHTER OF BRAINS IS MORE A BOON THAN I WOULD HAVE EVER THOUGHT, ALMOST A SON. THANK YOU, PAPA. PORCO! THE Signora DEMANDED. THE MASTER sighed. ATTEND TO YOUR MOTHER. TAKE HER FOR A SHORT WALK WHILE THE PLACE IS CLEANED AND THE MEAL PREPARED. IT MAY CALM HER UNTIL FATHER Aaron RETURNS WITH THE PRECOCIOUS HERBS but don't let her talk to the neighbors. Walk her in the back lane. "'Shouldn't I stay and help prepare the meal and clean?' Julietta asked. "'No. I'll direct the new orphans.' He stopped when he saw Lincoln make a face at being called an orphan again. "'I'll direct our new apprentices in their first duties. They will be cleaning and cooking enough over the next months and years.' Julietta encouraged her ever-complaining mother to rise from the bench and follow into the street. ''Master de la Cappa, Handsome said, ''perhaps I could help Julieta with your wife. She looks a handful.'' The master glared at Handsome, waiting for Julieta and the protesting Signora to leave the house. He raised a big finger to Handsome. ''Romero, is it? I see your moon face and eyes at the sight of my daughter. Take a care, orphan, for my daughter is my dynasty. If you ever talk to her about anything except your duties of the house... "'You will find yourself again looking for another position in this cold world,' he said bluntly. "'I wish only to be her friend. A woman is a friend to a man as meat is to a meal,' he continued addressing all the teenagers. "'If you wish to eat and have lodgings, I have first tasks for you. Romero, go to a neighbor and borrow a flagon to start the fire. Then come back and help me scrape the pots. But we must have water.' We must boil all our water before using it. Who knows how long the rain barrel has been collecting filth and bird droppings. You, Maruccio, go to the barn where we met. There's a store of dry wood there. Bring both small and large limbs for making a fire. Then take this bucket and go to the barn and fetch water till the two pots in the fireplace are full. Carmela, clean up this place and make the table ready. He looked at all three children. So, is there more you need to know?' "'Go!' The two boys left the house and entered back into the stink and noise of the street. "'Maybe this place won't be as much fun as I thought,' Lincoln began. "'When Aramis comes back, I think I'll ask him to go home.' "'Psst, young masters, psst!' The boys heard a tiny voice. It was Pan. He had popped a tiny version of his holographic head out from the material at Handsome's shoulder. "'Well, it's about time,' Handsome said. "'Have you been watching all this?' "'How could I not? This is extraordinary. Extraordinary!' A man on a donkey lumbered by. Pan disappeared back into his lamp at the top of Handsome's sleeve. When it was clear, he showed himself again and added, "'Who would have thought such a turn of events would happen? Do you think this Aramis is aware I was on your person when he stole you away?' "'I'm not sure,' Handsome replied, "'but I'm glad you're here.' "'What should we do?' Lincoln asked. "'Let us proceed as in the first history camp.' do what you're asked and be civil for the most part when we've amassed enough intelligence we shall decide the best course of action i shall continue to observe we'll talk again when you go to bed okay handsome said as pan disappeared in a puff see you little guy lincoln said the two boys parted to do their chores handsome looked up and down the street to see which neighbor could be called upon for a light he saw the man who had thrown the contents of a chamber-pot at Ugolino. He was still sitting at the open second-story window, his face all nodded, squinting as he worked intently on something in his lap. Beside him was a woman, doing the same. The man looked up and met Handsome's eyes. Handsome waved, and the man looked suspiciously at him. "'Excuse me, Signor," Handsome called. "'My master asked me to borrow a lit flagon to start our fire. We have just moved in.' The man and the woman exchanged wary glances. "'You come from the same house as that fool who ruined my horse-dung,' the man said. "'Yes, I'm sorry about that, and you're right. He is a fool. My master beat him. "'We saw. But the rest of us are quite nice. "'Your mistress looks a bit cracked. We can hear her screams from here.' Handsome paused before he answered. "'It would be wrong for me to say rude things about a lady, especially my master's wife.' The man in the window smiled. "'Come to the door. I'll give you a call.' He met the man and the woman at the front door. Buongiorno. My name is Romero.' Buongiorno, Romero. I am Bruno Satori, and this is my wife, Njuka.' Njuka said nothing, and smiled an almost toothless smile. Buongiorno, Signora Satori. How are you today?' Signora Satori smiled again and nodded a cracked nod. Most of her mouth was just gums. "'My wife does not speak,' Bruno said." "'Well, it's nice to meet you all the same,' Handsome offered graciously. "'Please come in, Romero,' Bruno said. "'We'll get you a coal." Handsome entered and saw that the main table in the Satori's home was covered with bolts of cloth, sharp blades, a wooden straight edge with markings, and some partially completed garments. The Satori's were tailors. Their home was very much like the Della but it was bright and well-organized. They, too, had a straw-covered earth floor, but this straw was clean.' Your home has been empty for some months, Bruno said. A slovenly family lived there, bad neighbors. It certainly still is messy, Handsome agreed. I hope we will be better neighbors. Nuka laughed at this comment. Her face crunched up, and her laugh seemed more like the honking of a goose. Bruno smiled at her. My Nuka was such a beautiful girl. He cupped a hand lovingly on the side of her face. She snuggled into it. Only a few months after we were married, many years ago, she got the fever. She survived, thanks to God, but her mind was not the same. The fever also burned her voice and almost all the power of her ears. And we could not have the blessings of children. But she's still my sweet girl. Bruno tweaked her cheek and followed it with a kiss. Nuka's lined, toothless face beamed. No eid! No eid! She croaked, and then she laughed. See, she says that because she can't talk, we don't fight. They all laughed. Handsome was amazed that between the two of them, the Satori's possessed less than five teeth, and the ones they had were lined with black. He turned his shoulder around so Pan could get a good view of everything. Bruno lent Handsome a small ceramic cup to carry some embers in. Thank you very much. i better get back, Handsome said. I guess we'll be seeing each other often. Nice to meet you both. CHAPTER SEVEN when he got back home, the air in the house was dustier than ever. Shamira was using a straw broom to sweep off the table. She coughed as a cloud of dust came up at her. Hansom tapped his temple. "'This place is incredible,' he said, in earth-common. "'Yeah, unbelievable,' Shamira answered, blinking and rubbing her nose from the dust. "'And filthy!' "'Speak our language!' the master shouted. "'I want to know what you are saying at all times. No secrets in my house.' Handsome tapped his temple again. The master was by the fireplace, kneeling over the big iron pot, scraping the insides with an old knife. "'Here's a coal, master. I got it from the tailor across the street,' Handsome said. "'Good. Maruccio has already brought some wood. He's getting water now. We can start the fire as soon as I'm finished this,' the master said, not looking up. Handsome looked closely at what Agostino was doing. He was scraping the rust off of the surface of an iron vessel. "'Ah!' "'Iron oxide,' Handsome observed quietly. "'You're saving this for lens polish. Blush.' The master stopped and looked Handsome in the eye. "'The Holy Father spoke true,' he said. "'You do have some experience in lens-making. Very good. By taking advantage of any resource about us, we can save the coins the Holy Father gave us for things that we can't provide with our own hands.' The master used a thin shim of wood as one would a dustpan, and put the rust chips into a mortar bowl to be ground up for blush later. Lincoln came in with his first pail of water. It was a wooden pail built with staves, like a barrel, two iron rings holding them together. "'Coming through!' Lincoln cried. "'This thing's leaking like there's no tomorrow!' He poured the water into the pot the master had just finished scraping. It sloshed about and got the master wet. "'Sorry about that,' Lincoln said, out of breath. I ran but still lost almost half the water. Master Della Cappa looked like he wanted to be angry but couldn't. "You are a funny boy," he chuckled. "You may be entertaining to have around. When you finish, let the pail soak in the rain barrel. The wood will swell and stop leaking by tomorrow." Lincoln's eyes widened. "Really? That's zippy." Because there was no counterpart in the old Italian for the slang, it came out the same. "Is that a curse word?" The master scowled, raising his hand. "'No,' Lincoln answered quickly. "'Good. "'Romero, start the fire,' the master ordered. "'Hey, I'm good at starting fires,' Lincoln stated proudly. "'Sure, go to it,' Hansom said. "'I'll get the water. "'Do you mind, master?' "'As long as the work gets done.' "'Great,' Lincoln said. "'Master, this curtain here is filthy. "'How about I use it to line the pail? "'It will get washed while I carry the water and slow the dripping.' "'Just be sure to shake as much dust as you can off first, Agostino said." and bring more wood. The table and bench are swept, Shamira said, wiping her face with the back of her hand. But this floor is filthy. We'll change the straw tomorrow, the master said. There is much to be done. But now that we have many hands, God willing, all will be well soon. He paused, seeming to mull over his plans out loud. Yes. Tomorrow we clean and provision the house. After that we get to the business of making discs for the eyes. Yes." Back by the barn, Handsome shook out the dusty curtain. He dunked it in the rain barrel, then wrung out the moisture and much of the dirt. He repeated the process several times, and was folding the fabric to fit into the pail when Julietta and her mother appeared. Handsome's trading jobs with the Lincoln had gotten him what he wanted. "'I see you make a fine washerwoman, Romero,' Julietta said. Handsome, being the confident and good-looking boy he was, had never been rattled by a woman's teasing, no matter what her age.' But Julietta was having a different effect on him. She looked him in the eye, and there was modesty and vulnerability about her. Oh, I-, I didn't see you. This much is obvious, she said. The senora stood by her daughter and looked back and forth between the two young people. Although addled, she was sharp on other levels. She tugged at her daughter's arm and began to walk. I want my porco! Julietta allowed herself to be pulled away, but smiled back at handsome. The fire is only being lit, Hansom called. It will be a while before things are ready. The mother glared at her daughter as they walked. You'll both have looks between your eyes. Don't be a fool. Mother, not so loud. He'll hear. Who cares? He's an orphan. Hush. When Hansom returned to the house, the fire was going. Lincoln and the master were finishing hanging the pot over the flames. THE FLU NEEDS CLEANING, THE MASTER SAID. TOMORROW I'LL HAVE YOU GO ON THE ROOF, MARUCCIO. WE WILL SWEEP IT OUT. THE ROOF? CLEAN THE CHIMNEY, LINCOLN SAID, LOOKING AT HIS BLACKENED HANDS. Handsome SMILED AS HE SAW A FILTHY LINCOLN THINKING DEEPLY ABOUT SOMETHING. THAT COULD BE DANGEROUS. THE MASTER CLAPPED THE BOY ON THE BACK AND LAUGHED. LIFE IS DANGEROUS, MARUCCIO, HE SAID. LINCOLN SMILED WEAKLY, HIS TEETH shone OUT FROM HIS BLACKENED FACE. "'Such nice white teeth,' the master added. It took Handsome quite a few more trips to the rain-barrel before the cauldron was full. His arms, although strong and muscled from sports and working out, were sore from real manual labor. He rubbed his tender biceps as he looked around the room. Shemira and Julietta were rummaging through a trunk and bringing out wooden bowls and cups, a few cracked plates, some knives, wooden spoons, and a few ceramic jars.' The signora was sitting slumped on the bench, waiting impatiently. The master had Lincoln skimming out the dirt from the water as it heated. "'Is this all we have to drink?' Lincoln asked. "'You eat and drink what is put on my table,' the master said with some severity. The master picked up the wrapped pork from where he had placed it by the fire to warm. He put it on a cracked ceramic plate. "'Where's the bread?' he asked. "'I hid it in my room so the mice wouldn't get it,' Julietta said." her eyes glancing over at her mother. I'll be right back. Carmela, put water from the cauldron in the cups for everyone, the master ordered. Shimira, not seeing a ladle, dipped each wooden cup in the boiling water, gingerly holding the edge of each and avoiding the floating scum that was left. Chapter 8 The master directed each person to their place at the table. He and his family on one side, the senora in the middle— the teenagers on the other side, Shamira in the middle. When Julietta returned and unwrapped the bread, it was not like the nice, light-coloured bread at history camp. It was dark, with a hard crust and spots of green mould. The master took a blackened steel knife and cut into it. The bread fractured and bits sprayed everywhere. None of the Della Capas took notice, but each smiled broadly. After cutting the bread into uneven hunks and distributing a piece to each, the master unwrapped the pork. Handsome couldn't believe what he was seeing, and looked at Lincoln and Chimera, who were both staring in horror. Dark veins and nerves ran throughout the white meat. It was sweaty from sitting next to the fire, and strings of yellow fat stretched, mucus-like, from the meat to the cloth as it was unwrapped. The Kappas gave a joyful laugh. "'God bless the Holy Father,' Julietta said, crossing herself. The master crossed himself, too— the senora bobbed her head uncontrollably and drooled. Agostino took his iron knife and first cut the meat into thin slices, and then cut them further into bite-sized pieces. He placed them into the bowls all around the table, first into his wife and daughter's bowl, then his own, then the bowl in front of Handsome, then the one in front of Shamira and Lincoln. "'We seem to be short a bowl or two, Lincoln said sarcastically. "'What, you think you are at the Podesta's palace?' the master asked. "'We share, like everybody from a poor Christian home.' "'You have your own bowl,' Lincoln observed. The master's hand slammed down on the table. "'I am the master. Shut your mouth.' "'Romero's got his own bowl,' Lincoln grumbled. Just then the door to the house opened. A gargoyle of a head popped in. "'Master, I have returned,' it was Igalino. "'The blessings do not stop,' Agostino muttered under his breath. "'Your nose tell you when food is on the table?' The fact that nothing heavier than an insult was thrown his way apparently told Ugolino that the master was his old self again. A moment later he was sitting beside Handsome at the end of the table. He grabbed the hard bread in front of Handsome and broke it in half. Eh porco magnifico, grazie, master!' "'Thank the Holy Father when he returns. It was his gift.' "'Oh, I saw him in the market,' Ugolino said, "'biting off a chunk of the hard, dark bread. "'He continued to chew with his mouth wide open as he talked. "'He gave me this satchel of herbs for the mistress,' "'he tossed the bag towards Giulietta. "'A tea to drink thrice a day,' he said, "'looking at Giulietta with his big, decayed smile, "'bread now stuck between the broken teeth. "Mamma, they are the same herbs the Holy Father provided for you in Florence,' "'she said cheerily. "'I don't like them,' the Signora said. "'They make me tired.' "'They make you sane,' the Master shouted. "'You'll take them!' He punctuated his command by banging his hand on the table again. "'I won't!' the Mother whined. "'Mama,' Julieta said, touching her arm, "'they didn't make you tired. "'They made you calm, and the household was peaceful. "'We laughed and talked, and all was well.' "'For you I'll take them.' And to make the house be quiet, the mother said begrudgingly. When is Aramis, I mean the Holy Father, coming back? Hansom asked. He's not, informed Hugolino, chewing on the bread. He visits the brothers at San Zeno tonight and is off through the northern valleys in the morning. For a month, he said. Yes, he told me to tell the orphans that he would be gone for a month. Hugolino then grabbed the bowl that he and Hansom were obviously sharing. He took some of the slimy pork and, shoving it into his mouth, made ravenous eating noises. The three teenagers stared at each other. Aramis was leaving them on their own, in the fourteenth century, for a month. "'He said he was coming back,' Lincoln said. "'Plans change,' the master said, chewing some pork and bread together. "'But,' Shemira started, "'Don't worry,' the master said reassuringly. "'A month goes by fast.' A month, Handsome repeated. We're screwed, Lincoln meant to say, but the translator made a very obscene word come out of Lincoln's mouth. The master's big fist crashed on the table. Don't you ever talk like that in my house or shop again, he shouted. The children froze. Master, excuse Maruccio, Handsome said. He didn't mean it as it sounds, and I think we shall be fine until the father returns. "'All right, then,' Agostino said. He saw Ugolino hogging the food in his shared bowl. "'Not so much. Romero has to eat, too. "'And did you wash your filthy hands before you came to my table?' Ugolino put some of the meat he had in his hand back in the bowl. With his mouth still full of food, he said, "'When Signora Baroni put the salve on my head, "'she made me wash my hands, my arms, my face, and my head at the fountain.' You did a good one on me, master. (laughs) He Agostino looked at Ugolino and pointed his knife at him. You keep what is of this house in this house. The neighbors don't need to know our business. It's bad for business. Yes, master. Romero, eat, the master ordered. Ugolino, crumbs falling from his lips, held the bowl up to Handsome and smiled. Handsome, confused at the etiquette, took the bowl... And just stared at its contents, are none of you hungry? Julietta asked the three newcomers she had been nibbling at both the bread and the pork, trying to share with her mother, who was ravenously shoving all the pork she could into her mouth. More porco, she demanded of her husband, Eat your bread first, wife. I'll eat their pork if they don't. The signora added now, mamma, they're just being shy, Julietta said not used to such grand meals, I'm sure. You'd better eat," she advised. Lincoln's stomach growled again, so he knew he was getting hungry. Whatever magic might have been in that biscuit Aramis gave him was definitely wearing off. But when he looked down at the bowl he and Shemira were sharing, he thought, I don't know if I can eat this stuff. He watched Shemira take a piece of the greasy pork in her fingers and bite off an edge. Then she nibbled on the hard, crunchy bread. She took a sip of the water with the bread still in her mouth, but made a face, like it scratched going down. Handsome was doing what Ugolino did, putting some of the pork on a piece of bread and popping it in his mouth. Lincoln braved the pork, nibbling a bit off the edge of one piece. He found that, being unspiced, the pork tasted neither bad nor good, but he found it hard to swallow, so he took a sip from his water. When he took the wooden cup away from his mouth, he saw the yellow fat from his lips floating at the top of the water. This repulsed him so much he gagged and spit the water in his mouth back into the cup, some of it coming through his nose. Ugolino laughed. "'Sorry,' Lincoln said self-consciously, putting his cup down and snuffling. Then he put his hands in his lap, wiped them on his shows, and then his nose with his sleeve. He tried the bread.' Since it was hard, he attacked it, his teeth breaking through the crust with a loud crunch. Crumbs flew, and then Lincoln felt a bolt of pain sear through his upper palate. Ow! he cried, grabbing his mouth. When he looked at what had fallen into his hand, he not only saw bits of bread, but also a piece of his front tooth and a small piece of stone. He turned to Shamira and bared his teeth. Oh, my God! God, she said, with a look of horror on her face. You've broken a tooth. He's broken a tooth, she repeated to the master, shaking in her seat. We've got to get him to a dentist. The master laughed. Hey, that's a piece of stone from the miller's wheel, he said jovially. Maybe you should take it back to him? The Della Capas and Ugolino laughed. Ugolino added, Eh hey, now you start to look like me. The Della Capas laughed again. He needs to see a dentist, Shamira repeated. I'm serious. Since the word dentist wouldn't be invented for four hundred years, the translation program substituted the word physician. A doctor for a broken tooth? Ha! the master said, taking another bite of his bread and meat. When the tooth goes black, Ugolino added, I'll pull it out with a pair of pliers for you. He stretched back the side of his mouth to show a gaping hole where a bicuspid had been. "'That's what the master did for me,' he mumbled through his distorted pie-hole. Lincoln looked into Ugolino's rotting mouth. He could see Handsome, who was sitting next to the ugly youth, cringe from its foul stench. Another streak of pain emitted from the tooth, shooting straight up through Lincoln's eye to the top of his head. He felt his face scrunch up with the pain and pressed his hand hard over his mouth to suppress it. When he removed his hand, there was a bit of hot blood on his fingers— An unbidden sob emitted from Lincoln, followed by stinging tears. I want my mama, Lincoln cried. He looked around. Everyone had gone silent and was staring. I don't think this one will last very long, he heard the master whisper to Ugolino. Master Lincoln, please, Pan whispered, please find the strength to control yourself. Your self-pity will do no good here. Lincoln sat up and shook himself. You gonna be all right, man? Hansom asked. Lincoln didn't answer, but looked around the table again. Everyone was staring expressionless, except for Ugolino. He had a bit of a smile on his face. Lincoln glared at the oaf. He wanted to scream and argue, but held his tongue. He had seen the damage this Master Della Cappa had done to Ugolino's scalp. The day she gets dark, the Master finally said. Everybody eat up. Lincoln's stomach was telling him to eat, so he tried, but there was no joy in the food. He nibbled away, avoiding putting any pressure on his hurt tooth. Finally, he got his share of the food down, and while the mood of the master's family and Ugolino appeared to lighten, Lincoln's mood, along with Shemira's and Hansom's, got heavier. "'Thank you, Holy Father,' the master said as he crossed himself at the end of the meal. "'So now we go to sleep with the angels.' Ugolino, show the boys where to bed. Julietta, show Carmella her cot in the corner. She must make sure the fire is going in the morning. Oh, no, papa, Julietta said. It is too filthy down here still. Carmella, you sleep with me tonight. This way we will be warm. Tomorrow we will all clean the house together, and you will have your own nice bed after that. I am good at warming beds, Ugolino said. The master's cup flew through the air and hit Ugolino on the cheek. You are good for warming barns! Ugolino laughed until the master said, Now, get out of here and take the boys with you. CHAPTER nine. See, master, Ugolino said. Handsome felt the filthy Ugolino pull at his tunic to signal him to get up and follow. Then he slapped Lincoln on the head to get him moving when they stepped from the hovel into the dark unlit streets of verona ugolino's attitude turned as chilly as the night come on orphans i show you your beds he said forcefully well at least we have beds lincoln hissed idioto ugolino muttered where do we sleep then Hansom asked ugolino just grunted and walked up the laneway they came back to the barn with the tethered cow it moved nervously at their presence and stomped about in the mud. Ugolino pointed to the top of the barn. "'Another barn loft?' Handsome said. "'You were expecting the Podesta's palace?' "'Okay, now I'm getting pissed,' Lincoln said." Lincoln felt Handsome clasp his arm. "'Don't sweat it, man. Remember what we agreed. Be cool and play along.' "'Play along? Play?' Lincoln said loudly." "'This isn't play anymore. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I've got a friggin' broken tooth, and now we have to sleep in a barn?' Ugolino laughed. "'Hey, he thinks he's a prince. And you shut up, man. I'm already sick of you,' Lincoln growled. Lincoln barely saw it coming. Suddenly he felt the sharp crack of Ugolino's calloused hand to meet his cheekbone. Hard.' He felt himself tumble uncontrollably backwards, bouncing off the cow and then collapsing onto the muddy ground. Through blurred vision, he saw the hooves of the cow almost stomp him. "'Hey!' handsome shouted, coming to Lincoln's defense. But Ugolino didn't look angry. He just held up his hands. "'Calma, Romero, calma. That was just to make the little one relax. He is too excited.' "'You hit him on the head, Ugolino. How does that relax someone?' "'Well, look at him. He's quiet now. "'Hey, if I accounted how many times the master hits me like that, "'well, I couldn't count that high.' "'Are you all right, man?' Hansom said, bending down to help Lincoln. "'Can you stand?' "'I guess so.' He stumbled to his feet with Hansom's help. "'Come on, into the loft,' Ugolino ordered. "'It's almost too dark to see. Come.' When the two didn't move, he repeated sternly, "'Come!' Handsome thought how in the twenty-fourth century there was always light when needed, but not here. As the boys entered the barn, their feet bumped into things on the floor. Some were hard, some were mushy. They came to the ladder, and Ugolino was already half the way up it. "'One at a time,' he mourned. "'It could break.' A few seconds later, he called from the top, "'Okay, come.' Handsome saw there was good reason for Ugolino's warning." The ladder's rungs were tied to the uprights with hemp twine, and most of the knots had become loose. Handsome went up, gingerly stepping on each rung, his natural physicality showing. Lincoln barely made it up. Each of his unsure steps caused the ladder to wobble more. Careful, slowly, Handsome cautioned, then grabbed Lincoln's arm when he got to the top and guided him into the loft. Outside, the clouds parted and the moonlight shone through the open haymow door. The loft was nothing more than the old thatched roof on boards over the barn. It was cramped. Piles of straw were everywhere. As Handsome's eyes accustomed themselves to the light, he thought he saw a black blur zip in the opening. There was a fluttering around his head and in his ears. Then it was gone. We sleep here, Ugolino announced. Here? Lincoln asked incredulously. There's no beds. I told you... "'I know this isn't the Podesta's palace,' he said, glowering. "'Hey, he learns fast. "'Are there blankets?' Handsome asked. "'What?' Ugolino's face crinkled up into a questioning mass of wrinkles. "'You know, a cover to put over you while you sleep?' The ugly apprentice's face then broke out into a devilish smile. "'Oh, yes, Prince, I think we have one over here.' He reached into the shadows and pulled out an old horse-blanket. It was stiff and encrusted with the dried horse sweat, bird droppings, rain, and mold. "'This will keep you nice and snug, eh? You two can share it.' "'Where's the po? Lincoln asked. Ugolino's face wrinkled into another question mark. "'The bathroom?' Of course, there was no phrase for bathroom in the 14th century. That was about 500 years away. "'Where do we take a, you know, a pee?' Lincoln said." Ugolino gave him a look that said he still didn't know what he meant. Poop, Lincoln said. More lines of confusion on Ugolino's face. Finally, Lincoln did something that translated perfectly. He crouched down, screwed up his face, and made a raspberry farting sound with his lips. Ugolino began to laugh. Oh, merda, merda, merda and piss. Of course, my princes, I shall get your royal commode. Ugolino went to the open haymow door and bent down. When he stood, he was holding an old ceramic chamber pot without a lid. He made a grand march of walking it back to the boys. Here, your royal orphaned highnesses, your royal bowl, do you wish me to wipe your delicate behinds for you too? He held it directly under their noses. It was full. What that? "'Lincoln cried as the odoriferous fumes entered his nostrils. "'Oh, a thousand apologies, magnificent spawn of nobody-knows-who. "'The pot at this time does not have noble merda in it, only that of a peasant. "'Whose?' Lincoln asked, his eyes burning. "'Me. It is mine from last night and this morning. "'Oh, it was a magnificent evacuation. "'Don't you ever empty it?' Handsome asked, gagging. "'Of course!' And with that, Ugolino went to the haymow hey door and threw the contents into the night. They heard a splash, followed by a long and miserable bovine cry. The tension in the loft was high. Handsome could see Lincoln shaking with rage. He was about to explode. To keep the younger boy under control, Handsome took hold of his arm and squeezed tightly again. "'Ugolino,' Handsome said to the ugly apprentice, "'if we are to live together, it would be best we get along.' To get along is easy. Just do what the master and I say, and stay away from Julieta. I saw the way you looked at her. It seems everyone did, Handsome said. Who? Ugolino said suspiciously. The master? You watch it. She's to be mine. Well, that cut on your head says you're not first choice for a son-in-law either. The master will come around. The signora told me the story how her father did not like him at first— but after he saw what a good lens maker he was, and how he could be a good provider, he changed his mind. So, you are a lens maker? Handsome asked. Not yet. But because I stole back one of the master's lathes from the Jews who repossessed it, the master promised he would teach me. So, you see, I have a plan. And as my priest back in Florence said, a man without a plan will soon be with Satan. So, I must get going. "'How's that?' Hansom inquired. "'Do go out and get things.' "'But it's night. The market's closed.' "'Oh, my market is open all the time.' Hansom and Lincoln stared at each other, trying to think what Ugolino was referring to. "'Wait a moment,' Hansom finally said incredulously. "'You're going to steal things?' For twenty-fourth-century people, stealing was unknown, something only mentally ill people did, and there were very few of those.' "'Of course,' Ugolino laughed. "'Since we only moved in, I'll just roam the streets, "'learning what's where and whose it is. "'My only purchase will be if someone leaves me an easy bargain "'that can't be denied. "'Come with me, Romero. It will be fun,' Ugolino smiled, "'his broken teeth glowing in the moonlight. "'No, no, I'd better stay here with Lin—with Maruccio. "'He doesn't look so good.' Ugolino's smile disappeared. This one? Ugolino said, jabbing his finger close to Lincoln's eye. I agree with the master. I don't think this one will last very long. I'm going to stay here, Lincoln repeated. Ugolino didn't look happy. He spit. I will be back before morning. And with that, he was gone. Chapter 10 Handsome and Lincoln looked around the loft, The Haymow's opening used to have two working doors, but now one was lying on the floor and the other was hanging by a single leather hinge. Open to the elements, the temperature was dropping and the clouds began to cover the moon again. Another black flash passed the boys, leaving a flapping echo in their ears. "'History camp is starting to sound pretty good,' Lincoln said, shuddering. The loft lit up from an artificial source. It was Pan, popping his head out of Handsome's shoulder." greetings young masters the head said the image turned into a small whirlwind and a full-bodied metre-high version of pan landed feet first on the floor so lankin said at least we can see now we better be careful Hansom warned your light could attract attention "'Quite right, young master. Let's retire to yon corner, where I spy a largest mound of straw. You both can ensconce yourselves within it, and thus be somewhat insulated from the intemperate night air.' Pan opened his eyes wide, turning them into flashlights. The boys sat in the straw and scooped it around them. Pan lounged back into the straw. "'It's so nice to just kick back and relax with friends,' the hologram said." "'Let's get serious here,' Handsome said. "'Do you really think Aramis has abandoned us here in the fourteenth century? "'That we're here by ourselves for a month?' "'It would appear so,' Pan said. "'But why would they?' Handsome wondered. "'The history camp people, I mean.' "'Impossible to really know,' Pan answered. "'But it's obviously a hard lesson they've planned.' "'They plan to let us get beat up and broken?' Lincoln asked, feeling his broken tooth." I don't know, young master, but as you've experienced, these truly are not inactors who will restrain their actions. I think we have no choice but to continue fitting in and observing. As if on cue, a blast of cold wind blew in through the open haymow door. Straw and straw dust blew into the boys' faces. They shivered and pulled their hats down over their ears. Then they huddled close for warmth. Tan lowered his personal light emanations, and they listened in silence as the rain beat down on the thatched roof. "'It's going to be a long night,' Lincoln said, finally closing his eyes. "'I wonder what Charlene is doing now,' Handsome said. And then he just lay there, realizing how, right at that moment, Charlene didn't even exist.' You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to www.lauriekauffman.com. That's www.lauriekauffman.com.